Welcome to 360 Degrees of Healthcare with Dr. Stan, an in-depth look at our industry from our very own Chief Medical Officer, who will talk with other medical and industry professionals on the changing and evolving landscape of the healthcare system from the inside. And now, live from Zero Studios, our very own infectious disease expert with a contagious personality, Dr. Stan Schwartz. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to 360 Degrees of Healthcare. My name is Dr. Stan Schwartz, and I am excited to welcome you today. We have a really interesting guest, and we're going to have a really interesting conversation. I'm going to give you just a 30-second overview of COVID. I heard this most interesting metaphor the other day that talked about the whole COVID thing and the rollout and the Operation Warp Speed. And someone told me Operation Warp Speed it's kind of been like launching an intergalactic flight from one galaxy to the other galaxy and then not figuring out how to land once you got there. So with that, let's go ahead and dive in. My guest today is Mark Bloom. He is the executive director of America's Agenda. And I think you'd find a story really interesting. He is truly an evangelist. Uh, with that, Let's go on camera and say good afternoon, Mark, and welcome to 360 Degrees of Healthcare. I'd like to start by asking you a little bit about yourself and what makes you so passionate about what's happening in the healthcare space, Mark. Stan, it's good to be with you and with your audience today. A real pleasure to talk to you about the things that indeed do really excite me. You know, healthcare is really personal. It's personal for each of us. You, I, we approach healthcare issues as, as policy issues, but it's root for you and me and for every member of the audience, it's personal. Uh, my personal encounters with the healthcare system, loved ones I've had with my, uh, in, in my own uh, healthcare experiences have all been wanting, uh, even though I've had some great healthcare providers, outstanding world-class healthcare providers, but incentives are misaligned, uh, uh, getting good care, even when it was available, it was hard to access. I've always had concerns through most of my life about affordability of care. And as I've had a few uh, close encounters uh, with serious health conditions, I have realized how fortunate I am uh, to actually be able to get the care I need. Uh, too many Americans, most Americans, can't access care they need in a regular way. Most Americans face chronic conditions that are inevitable um, if they don't have early interventions and are totally preventable if they do have early interventions, yet most Americans don't get those interventions. Mm -hmm. I looked around and saw a healthcare system uh, in the most prosperous nation in history where most Americans don't have access to healthcare that's in fact available because they can't afford it because we as a society haven't made it a priority. So my passion is about changing that. The idea that healthcare ought to be not just a right, but it ought to be an economically accessible, affordable good for every American. We can do that as a nation, and that unlocks tremendous other kinds of potential that we have as a nation. So wow. today, the day after the inauguration, I must tell you that it's a time for me of of refreshed hope and optimism that we can actually do this. 
So Mar oh, let me just remind the audience, if you are listening live, there's a chat function at the bottom of your screen. If you have questions, please feel free to post them on the chat screen and we'll try to get to them. If you're not listening live, chat isn't gonna work. So Mark, um, when you and I have talked in the past, you've kind of blended that concept of advanced primary care and concierge care. And you deal to a large extent with, with you know, working Americans, Americans who are in the middle class, don't have huge amount of money, don't have discretionary incomes. First of all, what do you mean by advanced primary care? Well, let me ask that question first by saying that dollar for dollar, if you're looking at improving access and quality of care and making care more affordable, dollar for dollar, the greatest return on investment is in transforming primary care to make it much more accessible and much more robust in the sense of broader scope of care services that can be offered through a family doctor or a primary care doctor in a setting where he's in fact incented or she's incented to provide the broadest scope of care possible. So by advanced primary care, I mean very simply, it is a primary care setting which is designed to deliver the broadest possible scope of care in at high quality that can be delivered by a primary care physician hmm. in a personal relationship with a patient. Wow. And you also talk about concierge care. Now, we all know concierge care means that, you know, you've got a lot of money and you pay a fee every month to the doctor. So you get his, his or her cell phone number and you can get in any day you want. I mean, what does concierge care mean in this context? Well, first of all, concierge care for rich people means everything you said. Plus, you're going to pay a fee for each service you receive from that doctor from whom you purchased really great access. In the setting that we deliver direct primary care, it's advanced primary care to working families and also to employers. Because our thesis is through offering great direct primary care, we can reduce the overall cost of healthcare and make employers that take seriously their responsibility of providing healthcare to their employees, that can, they can remain competitive in the marketplace. So uh, in, in, in our setting, I believe that we can offer the same kind of access that wealthy families or individuals get when they purchase concierge care. We can offer that same level of access to every working family. And by so doing, we can actually provide sick care, uh, lifestyle support, uh, addiction, uh, uh, reduction, uh, and most importantly, prevention and management of chronic illnesses in a way that ultimately can drive costs uh, from anywhere from from 10% to 40% reductions in overall costs. I so want to talk perfect. about how we get from 10 to 40, uh, hopefully in our dialogue together, because that is really achievable in partnership with some folks that have kind of interlocking pieces of the ecosystem with the kind of advanced primary care model that, that uh, I've been active in developing. So how far along the path are you on this? I mean, have you had successes? Well, uh, we worked for a half dozen years after the ACA passed in the marketplace with America's Agenda's think tank, really a research uh, center, uh, looking at the most innovative 
and productive primary care models that were emerging after the Affordable Care Act passed in the private sector marketplace. Because, of course, the ACA was a tremendous expansion in insurance access. Uh, 30 million Americans had access to uh, health insurance that were uh, had been denied before the ACA. That's a great thing, but it didn't do anything to reduce costs. In fact, arguably, it increased costs. So we went into the marketplace to look at business models where even without a, a further change in federal policy, we could drive lower cost healthcare much more accessible and at higher quality. Uh, in the after six years of 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 looking at those uh, models, uh, looking at how large groups, particularly employer groups, could access those models, we came to a couple of conclusions. One conclusion uh, was that. If you remove the fee-for-service incentive entirely from primary care mm -hmm. and add physicians uh, and uh, provider entities uh, incented to actually drive better outcomes and rewarded for doing that, rather than volume of billable services, which is what fee-for-service is, that we could dramatically increase performance. The second thing we found was that most of the innovations we saw in the marketplace were, in fact, funded by venture or private companies that really saw the healthcare economy as the fastest growing part of the American economy. Indeed, it is um, a great investment opportunity, but the savings and value they created, they were looking to increase the value of the company so they could sell it, resell it, flip it. Um, over the long run, that means those savings aren't being passed on to consumers, to employers and workers who are paying the bills. So. We launched a small operation called Solidaritas Health back mm -hmm. in 2017. Uh, Congressman Dick Gephardt, uh, uh, the former majority leader uh, in the House of Representatives for many years, uh, ran for president twice on the platform of universal health care, saw what we were doing and said, I'm in. I, I want to be a part of this. So he came on board as our chair. Um, some unions, not venture capital, uh, looked at what we were sawing and we got union investment. Some angels, we call them angels, folks who said, look, I'm not looking for a major return. I'm not looking for governance or control. I'm looking to flip this. I want to put money behind something good to do. So we got a group of investors of those kinds and we launched Solidaritas Health. And Solidaritas Health is not owned by venture, not owned by private equity. Uh, it's owned by representatives of patients who want to see returns in lower costs come back to them union representatives and employers who want to see their members have much better experience, much better health care, much more accessible health care, and reduce costs as a result. That's the long-run alignment of interests American health care needs. Um, right now, uh, we have just concluded discussions uh, with representatives of 14 jointly employer and uh, union-owned entities have invested uh, in the second phase of solidaritist growth. So this is revolutionary. The idea that patients should in fact, or their representatives or their employers should own the healthcare delivery entities that are driving the highest value primary care in America today. So we're, um, we launched uh, with a Fortune 500 company there in Oklahoma initially uh, with Spirit Aerosystems. And we, we, we proved our premise. We got the results that I'm describing. Very lo, uh, low, in fact, decline in overall health costs, significant decline. 
great patient experience, 100% net promoter score from the folks that participated, wow. and um, and better health outcome. Uh, a uh, fully insured uh, insurer in Wisconsin saw what we were doing, and we were invited up there a year ago, a few months before the COVID pandemic struck, and we've launched in uh, the upper Midwest as well. And right now we're having a, a discussions about um, about launching a fairly major uh, new uh, launch on the West Coast in Northern California. So this is a very exciting um, uh, exciting time for us because uh, we had a theory that uh, there was great appetite for lower cost care that was higher quality, um, great service, but above all, built around a personal relationship between a physician and a patient, something that patients could really only have before in the concierge care world, offering it to every working American. And so it's really 24-7 access? I mean, not a nurse taking the call or an answering? No, it's it's a physician-patient relationship-centered model. Um, let me tell you, appointments, you can have in-clinic appointments uh, uh, very quickly. Uh, same week, certainly. Next day, this week, very easily. Urgent care appointments, uh, yes. Uh, same day, next day, guaranteed. Uh, uh, in-clinic appointment, uh, if it's after hours, uh, within four hours, each patient has the mobile number, it's a medically secure mobile number, of their personal physicians, and 24-7 access to a personal physician, a guaranteed callback from your physician, not from a nurse switchboard, uh, from your physician um, uh, directly within, uh, within four hours, plus ongoing email, text access to your personal physician. Uh, the response may come within 12 hours, not within four hours for a casual call, but for urgent care, always within four hours, your 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 uh, your personal physician will be actually guiding you through an urgent care episode or your family member. So it's absolutely the, the, the offering of a concierge relationship, but at a price point that employers or individuals can afford. Do you uh, offer virtual <clears throat> video visits, things like that? Yeah, that that um, was built into the concept in the beginning. And Stan, let, let, let me tell you why it's so important. We view primary care not as an insurable service. Uh, think of it if you had auto insurance. You ought to insure for a, a car wreck, an unexpected event that may happen. You want to manage the risk, drive safely, avoid, but it can happen. Uh, and then you want insurance to pay for it. But you don't generally insure for oil changes. That's routine maintenance of the car. Primary care is in that category. We want primary care to happen often, to be continuous, really relationship-based healthcare, because you can prevent preventable chronic disease and sickness much more effectively if you've got ongoing regular access uh, to, uh, to primary care. So we see telemedicine or virtual health is part of just another uh, uh, point of delivering service. Uh, the office visit, not as a billable event because there are no bills for office visits. Uh, mm. the, uh, the care is paid for on a per member per month basis. It's a, it's a monthly fixed fee. And so there's no more cost or no more billing for office visits. Whether it's an office visit or a telemedical visit or a phone call, whatever's most convenient and most appropriate for the patient, that's how we want them to access their personal physician. Now, since COVID struck, we were sort of ahead of the curve because you know, it's a huge demand for telemedicine. It's unsafe to 
to visit medical facilities in, in the midst of a pandemic. Um, it, and so um, we were already there on the ground, uh, but we began to recognize that many patients are locked in uh, at home, lots of questions, they've got health conditions, um, they need a clinical level physical examination, can't get it over standard telemedicine. So we've just launched a virtual DPC service where we're, we actually send remote diagnostic tools to the patient's home. So a patient can do a virtually clinic level self-diagnosis while the doctor is on the video conference with the patient and actually get much deeper, uh, much more robust diagnoses, um, a much deeper clinic-like level of care, even um, across a video conference. So we're really excited. Uh, we're going to be continuing uh, to build on the uh, virtual uh, direct primary care experience, uh, even after COVID. COVID, you know, incented us to move forward by five years in a few months, uh, but we're not going back. So I got a question already. Um, to paraphrase the question, once you start removing that financial barrier or copay, I mean, aren't services just going to be overutilized? I mean, that's what we always had that copay for. You know, our uh, the idea of the copay is right that it depresses frivolous and unnecessary demand for healthcare. Quite honestly, I've never seen it. Uh, patients have questions that may be scientifically or may not be scientifically based. They may be questions that are driven by myth rather than knowledge or understanding. But once a patient has an access to a primary care doctor, a family physician, who's in fact a partner on the journey of healthcare and can impart evidence-based knowledge and understanding of the physical condition, we find that patients, except for a patient who may have a behavioral problem, typically patients aren't looking to overconsume healthcare. They just don't know how much to consume. But within that relationship, they become very rational about how much to access. Our goal is the right care at the right time and in the right setting. And our whole model is, is developed around doing that. And that includes respecting the patient's time. Patients don't want to spend time with a clinical provider in a medical facility unnecessarily. The appearance of frivolous and unnecessary demand is because you have uneducated patients who are in fact untethered in a very fragmented healthcare system. Our goal is to have that relationship between doctor and a patient tether the patient and give coherence to the overall healthcare experience through all care settings, whether primary, specialty, uh, hospital. Uh, the primary care doctor has a personal relationship and is a partner on that journey with the patient. I got a bunch of questions. Um, one is uh, social determinants of health, and especially in the population that you work with, you know, it's said that social determinants, money, economics, uh, safety, housing, food, nutrition, access, transportation, you know, play 80% of the role in, in, in health outcomes and doctor visits only 20%. How, how do you square with that? It's true. Social determinants of health are in fact an enormous barrier mm -hmm. to improving population health for the American people. Compound that with an, a ceaseless drumbeat of advertising 
to engage in unhealthy behavior, to consume medicines that are in fact unhealthy or unnecessary mm -hmm. uh, or wrong, uh, uh, with food deserts or advertising to consume foods that are in fact unhealthy. It means you can't actually solve the population health crisis that impacts the American people by relying on clinical care alone. Right. With cl great clinical care, you can drive healthy behavioral change. You can help patients optimize the choices in front of them given the health ecosystem they live in, but without taking the social determinants of health really seriously and social policy, public policy to impact uh, uh, negative social determinants of health. Uh, healthcare will always be too costly uh, and will be driving uh, illness at a level which would otherwise be really unnecessary. Another question is that behavioral problems tend to magnify medical problems. And it's often said that, you know, depression doubles the cost of healthcare. How does your advanced primary care facilitate help with behavioral problems like depression, anxiety, stress, PTSD? What a great question. What a great question. You know, at the root of our design of our healthcare model is an understanding and a philosophy that the physician-patient relationship is essential for managing the health of the whole person and that physical, clinical issues and behavioral issues are in fact different spheres, they're not. Uh, one primary care doctor told me uh, just before he left fee-for-service medicine for an advanced primary care practice, uh, said it really uh, hit the wall for him one day when he sat down with a patient who was obese and had back problems, um, had cardiopulmonary issues, also driven and related to his obesity. And at the end of the visit, as the doctor was leaving because there was a clinical manager knocking on the door saying, you've got to move nine minutes or up, you've got to move to your next patient. The patient said, doctor, before you go, there's one other thing. I don't feel, I feel kind of depressed lately. And his hand was already on the door handle and he knew what he was supposed to do. He's supposed to turn around and take out the insurance card and say, see, there's your behavioral health hotline. Call that 800 number and see if you can get some help. And he just said to him at that moment, I can't do this. This patient actually needs behavioral health interventions because none of the good diagnostics and prescriptions that I'm giving him will be adhered to by a patient who is too depressed to comply. You've got to solve both problems. You've got to solve them concurrently. One depends on the other. So in our practice, our physicians first do behavioral health screenings. Every family doctor in our practice is trained to do them. Uh, they do motivational uh, dialogues, questionings of patients to in part of the dialogue around a patient's exp health experience, their habits, their lifestyle, is in fact a very systematic effort uh, attempt to understand, to assess behavioral health and pediments to, uh, uh, to engaging in healthier behaviors, uh, but also recognize, and, and there's, this, there's a degree of uh, behavioral health modification and counseling, behavioral counseling, that a, a primary care doctor, a 
family doctors are in fact trained to do. They also need to recognize the limits. And the limits are preferences to refer to an integrated coordinated behavioral health provider that actually coordinates with our doctors. So we're in fact treating the whole patient in collaboration between a primary care doc and specialist downstream, a behavioral specialist downstream. Now, having said that, there aren't a lot of specialists, including behavioral health specialists, that are acculturated to coordinating with their primary care doctor. Care becomes siloed and fragmented. So Stan, we are constantly looking for models of coordinated high value downstream care. Ultimately, we think we've got to re-engineer the financial incentives for downstream providers, whether they're behavioral health providers or frankly, orthopedic surgeons or, or cardiologists. We need to look at an incentive system where we can bring real value to purchasers of healthcare, but also incent coordination with the primary care doctor. So we're treating that patient as a team of physicians coordinating with the primary care doctors, the anchor of the team. That's optimal. So we are constantly assessing and looking in the marketplace for behavioral health providers to coordinate with, and we found some great ones. Hey, I've got the, the questions are coming in. Mark, um, so, you know, cost is one part of the value equation and quality is the other part. And, you know, you can probably show cost savings to the participants and their employers. How do you show the quality? What, what kind of things do you measure? Let's let's talk about it in two sorts of buckets. First bucket, let's look at biometric measures of health outcomes. And to be really quick, um, um, I'm a diabetic. Uh, I'm going to be looking at, at 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 glucose levels at a uh, uh, you know at uh, at A1C measurements. Uh, is my diabetes in fact under control? Uh, uh, those biometric measures are straightforward. So we look at improvements in biometric measures. How many out of control uh, diabetic patients come into control? Uh, is control under eight? We typically have very aggressive measures uh, of success. And seven is, is actually the standard uh, that, that, uh, uh, that we'd apply to diabetics, but the same uh, principles of biometric measures can be applied to uh, a cardiovascular disease, uh, uh, we look at uh, uh, low-density lipids, uh, what are LDL levels. Uh, th that's a more complex calculation, of course. Uh, uh, but, but in each of the key um, uh, chronic disease areas, we look at biometric measures of whether the condition is under control or not. We also look at body mass indices uh, because uh, clinical obesity uh, uh, is such a driver of so many chronic disease conditions. But the second bucket we look at is not a biometric outcomes measure, but is a measure of patient engagement. Um, uh, first of all, are patients getting their age-appropriate uh, screenings, uh, whether it's a mammogram, uh, 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 whether it's colonoscopy, uh, age and gender-appropriate screenings. Um, uh, also, patient engagement uh, in the sense of... Uh, how many of the patients who enrolled in an employer setting have actually had an establishing visit? It's one thing to be enrolled, but have you established care with your personal primary care doctor and got the personal mobile phone number for that doctor and have an individualized personal health action plan, which is the plan that drives uh, forward your behavior to either meet your individual health needs or to meet your health goals. For a young, healthy patient, you may want to become a marathon runner 
We take conditioning for your health goals as seriously as care to meet your individualized health care needs. Uh, so those are measures of engagement. Finally, I should say, we look at patient satisfaction really seriously. It's got to be a great experience or you're not coming back. Healthcare in the commercial health system typically is not a great experience. We could look at all kinds of measures. NPS scores for uh, for uh, fee-for-service insurance-provided healthcare is about a four on a negative 100 to a positive 100 scale. Uh, Kaiser Permanente, the most highly rated NPS system in the country, is about 36, uh, which is pretty good. That means well over half folks would, would answer to a single question. Would you recommend this to a loved one or a friend? Answered yes. That's pretty good. Um, but if I look at really great retailers, uh, Amazon, uh, Southwest Airlines, Apple, uh, they're uh, 78, 80, 84, uh, respectively. Um, that's really great NPS score. In our first year at Spirit, we had 100% NPS score. I say that with trepidation. Every single one of our patients said, yes, this has been a different experience. I would recommend it to a loved one or a friend. Um, we have nowhere to go but down, and I'm sure we will go down in, uh, over time. That's statistically inevitable. But we take that really seriously because we can't engage a patient and drive better health outcomes unless they love the experience. That's got to be part of an advanced primary care model. Let, let me, we're getting short on time, so let me throw sure. the questions we have outstanding to you. Sure. Number one question is, you talked about all these measurements. Do yeah. you point these measurements back to the employer to show your performance or just to the doctors? And the second question is one that you'll like to hear. How do people learn more about what you're doing? <laughs> Great, thanks. Um, first of all, absolutely not. We don't report to the employer. We're not the occupational health doctor. We're the, per the patient's personal primary care physician. Our thesis to employers is that if we are improving the health of your employees and their families, your health plans are going to come out at lower cost overall. Your, your employees are gonna be healthier, but we need to put a firewall of information. If patients don't trust us, then we can't build a trusting relationship, which is necessary to improve health outcomes. More than that, we're totally compliant with HIPAA and all other federal laws. So we protect the confidentiality of medical information as surely as any physician out in the private sector does. The yeah. fact that an employer may pay us does not impact the confidentiality of patients' personal information. I, I think the question was more toward population. For example, can an employer say, of the 20,000 people with diabetes you have under care, what percentage are meat? the A1C requirements, the blood oh, pressure sure. If so we're talking about population health data, we're interested absolutely in a partnership with the employer and with the employees. If the employees have a representative, say a union, we mm -hmm. want them to be part of the partnership too. We want all hands on deck to say, how can we make the population of employees and their families healthier? It makes good economic sense. It makes great personal sense. We need exactly that kind of partnership what I was referring to is the confidentiality of personal information right, right. is absolutely sacrosanct. And the second, how can people know more? Yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all, please go online and look at solidaritas.net, www.solidaritas, S O L I D A R I T U S, sort of the Latinization of solidarity.net. Go to our website, look there. If you have questions, shoot them to us. Um, uh, or Stan, if your audience is in touch with you, 
share them my mobile number. I'll be glad to talk to any of them anytime. We'll be happy to do that. And one final question is what, and, and we introduced you as America's Agenda. What is America's Agenda? America's Agenda is a not-for-profit think tank, 501c3, tax-exempt nonprofit think tank, uh, union and employer and health industry stakeholders coming together around the mission, how do we design the delivery of more affordable, higher quality health care to every American? And then we have an action arm, which uh, is a 501c4. It's also not for profit, but is about communication and advocacy of smart, enlightened healthcare policies to advance that mission. So that's what America's agenda is. It was out of our think tank and our policy action uh, that we got engaged in looking at private sector innovation and realized there was a big hole in the marketplace because of the source of investment. So we launched employers and unions together. Uh, uh, the uh, Solidarity Health to actually put into the marketplace an advanced clinical care model that embodies uh, the principles we developed in the think tank. Can you? Are you free to tell us some names of the unions that are involved? Oh, absolutely. Be very happy to. Let me just off the top of my head, and forgive me if any brothers and sisters are out there. I didn't mention your union, uh, but the Teamsters, the United Food and Commercial Workers, the Iron Workers, the uh, Labor uh, North American Laborers, uh, uh, Layuna Laborers International Union of North America, uh, uh, Bricklayers. Uh, uh, the uh, Stagehands, IATSE, it's the International Association of Theater, uh, uh, Screen uh, 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 Employees, uh, uh, to name a few. Wow. It's really interesting. I mean, you know, you put that into, in, in juxtaposition with what we just heard with, you know, the, the cooperation between Amazon, J.P. Morgan, and Berkshire Hathaway to revolutionize healthcare that lasted two years before they dissolved. And you guys are doing it like from the blue collar up. Well, you know, it's because we have we understand that there's a real alignment of interest between employers and workers. All want better health care at lower cost. Problem is when the only tool in your box is cost shifting, who's going to pay a cost that's rising four times faster than wages? Then suddenly labor relations get acrimonious. But if we can solve the care delivery cost problem, the costs that are rooted in, in an inefficiently designed, misaligned incentive healthcare system such as we have, if we can solve that problem, we can bargain over how to share savings instead of how to shift costs. That's a very happy conversation. When, when we look back at what happened with Amazon and JP Morgan and, um, and Berkshire Hathaway, um, uh, we had great hopes that something great would come out. But we're talking about sponsors that are really conflicted. They are owners of the healthcare system. Right now, the fastest growing part of the American economy, the status quo is very lucrative. So with the folks that are profiting, to the extent that investors and the current lead investors and the current healthcare system profiting, would you expect them to be the source of, of innovation to transform that system? Uh, that would be, um, you know, kind of... Um, you know, making a mess in your own yard. Uh, so I was disappointed, but I wasn't surprised 
when that experiment failed. We don't have that problem. I'm going to get an add a tape message here real soon from the producer, but I've got, let me give you two real quick questions because they just keep coming in. When sure. does the plan, when do you plan to be in Illinois and going to more states than the two you're in now? Well, we're in Wisconsin already. That's right next to Illinois. So I'm planning to go in Illinois when I get an invitation. So if that came from one of your callers, let's talk. Okay. Listen, let me give you my personal email. Okay. M-B-L-U-M, I'm Mark Bloom, M-B-L-U-M, at solidaritas.net. Email me, I'll respond. Okay, I'll ask our producer. <laughs> I haven't done that on the radio before, Stan, but this is that kind of conversation. I love it. Okay, great. Hey, Mark, this is really fun. You are truly an evangelist. It's really remarkable. I mean, you you you, you walk the walk better than the doctors do. Appreciate it. We hope to hear from you soon. And uh, for you folks listening online, we'll have the podcast up in a week or two on drstan.podbean.com. Thank you, Stan. We will wrap it up and hope to see you all next month. Thanks very much for joining us and be healthy. We hope you've enjoyed the time with our very own Dr. Stan for 360 degrees of healthcare with Dr. Stan Schwartz a part of Zero Studios. Tune in, subscribe, and review our podcast to keep current with the ins and outs of the medical and healthcare industry from the inside out. <laughs>